Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Glad you guys are here this morning uh, to celebrate with us. Um, I'm Pastor Ben. If you're new here, um, I like to drop things. If you're new, new here and you have not had a chance to go check out our new here area, we've got a gift for you. And we just want to share a little bit about our church and let you know how much we appreciate having you here um, today. As you open up your program, it says Romans 9 because we've been walking through Romans. And I called an audible and we are instead going to do a Father's Day message. We're not going to look at Romans 9. Romans 9, 10, 11 all kind of tie together with one big question. And so uh, we're going to try to tackle all that next week. Today, I just want to share with you some principles about fatherhood and about what God's Word has to say about it, kind of encourage you guys, hopefully give you some practical uh, uh, principles in God's Word that will help you as dads. Sound good? Okay, well, let me pray and we'll, we'll jump into it. God, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to gather here to worship you. Uh, God, we, I'm so guilty some of, of coming and gathering in a worship service like this and just focusing on me and what I get out of it and if I like it. God, I pray that we would take ourselves out of the equation for a little bit and just focus on who you are and bring you honor and praise this morning. God, I pray you would reveal yourself to us here this morning. And I pray that these men who have been called uh, into fatherhood would be encouraged by your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who has a weird dad? (laughs) Whoa, okay. (laughs) All right. I like Cooper with his dad right behind him. (laughs) Yep. Um, I I think I could could very honestly categorize my dad as a little, little odd. Some people who know them are like, yeah. Um, If you look in the dictionary of absent-minded professor, um, there's a picture of my dad. Um, He is a college professor, and he kind of fits some of those stereotypes, uh, uh, very uh, intellectual. But but what's neat is he loves him some Jesus. And I grew up in a household that, um, that that was a huge priority. Of, of who Jesus is, and, and I was shared that truth from my earliest uh, uh, memories. And so I'm so thankful uh, for having a dad like that, and I'm thankful that he was kind of weird, or is weird, dad, love you, hope that, you know, I don't know if this will get recorded, um, but uh, weird in this sense, and here's what we're going to go through this morning, is looking at Jesus' most famous sermon And how it kind of, I think, makes a huge contrast from the world's perspective of what we should do and how we should live our lives to what God wants. And and I say weird, my dad being weird, in the sense that because he loved Jesus, his priorities and and, uh, how he lived his life showed it. And to the world, it was a little different. It was a little strange. And so... Jesus celebrates that, and I'm going to encourage you men especially to be weird, to be strange. Like, good, Cooper called his dad strange just boldly. I think he, was with, he wasn't within arm's length, so he felt a little safe, and he's, got, he's like, Ben preaches for a long time. He'll, he'll simmer down by the time Ben's done talking. Um, 
But, but as I look at what Jesus calls us men to do, it's, it's to look different than the world. And this includes you ladies. Of course, we're not trying to exclude anyone. These principles, of course, are for all of us. And we're going to try to kind of spin it a little bit to, to show the side that, that kind of reflects on what it means to be a father and what it means to be a man. And so uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to look at 11 verses here. These, if you have any kind of church background, even if you don't, these may sound really familiar. Because like I said, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And there's some unique things. When Jesus preached, he preached as one who had authority, as Scripture says. He preached in such a way that said, here's what God says, and here's what God's doing, and here is the truth of things, even if they're kind of new things. And it amazed people. Why did it amaze people? Because all the other rabbis and teachers were just kind of regurgitating what they knew and what they learned and what other teachers had had kind of come up with. And, And Jesus spoke as though he was speaking on behalf of God because that is who he was. Uh, who he is. And so uh, he does that in this most famous sermon. And he speaks in this way, and, it, and it's different. Um, and so we're going to walk through those things. And like I said, see the contrast. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. And verse 3 says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now that, this is the New Living Translation, a really good uh, translation that, that, that uses a little bit more of, of our modern day English. Uh, some of you may be familiar with King James, and it's blessed are, are the poor in spirit. And so often I've heard this verse quoted to kind of encourage people who were broke. And that's not what it's talking about. <laughs> It's talking about being poor in spirit. Um, that, that, and, and so I love the way the New Living Translation kind of um, interprets this and, and gives us this translation. That it's a, a saying, when I stand before God, I come up short. When, when I match up my goodness or my righteousness or my right standing before God, uh, yeah, I, I fail miserably. And as we've walked through Romans, that's how Paul begins his most famous book, uh, Romans, laying out this beautiful, compelling uh, defense of the Christian faith. And he starts it out with this incredible bad news that we don't measure up and we're all sinful and we're all rebellious. And he shows how bad the bad news is for all of us so that the good news, we can see it in its proper light of how good it is, how amazing it is. Um, And so Jesus says, this has got to be your starting point. And Paul picks up on that when he writes Romans and says, this has got to be your starting point. That when you stand before God, it's not, check me out. Check out my awesomeness. Look at me in church on Father's Day. The weather's nice outside. Check me out. Um, look at all the good things I've done or look at the, the boxes I've checked in, in being religious or, or a good person or, or especially if I compare myself, hey, I could point out some people who, man, they, they are way worse than me. But, but Jesus says, no, your starting point and men, our starting point, as a father, our starting point should be that we 
do not match up to a holy, righteous God, that we don't come anywhere close. And then we understand our need for Jesus, our under, understand our need for a Savior. Now compare that, like I said, to the world. What does the world say a real man should do? A, a world man, it, a real, a, a world man, a real man in this world, in our culture, many people would say, is one who says, I, I don't need anything. I'm self-sufficient. That's why we refuse to ask for directions, right? Even if, you know, we can't connect nowadays to our Google map or whatever. Or is that different? Is that an old illustration? Okay, back, your grandpa and your, you know, they would never ask for directions because, you know, we didn't, that's weak. Like, we can figure it out. We don't need anybody else. But yet Jesus gives this incredible, different perspective. Your starting point, and you will be blessed when you understand that you're not the center of the universe. That there is a God who spoke you into existence and spoke the universe into existence. And you can find your, your purpose and your meaning in him. Um, he goes on in verse 4 to say, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Real men don't cry. Right? And even women when they're playing baseball, I guess. Right? Um, so... Look at the contrast there. The world says men don't, don't have that kind of emotion. Men are, are, are you know, more solid than that. And they, don't, they, they wouldn't be caught mourning and weeping and crying. And, and Jesus gives this different picture that no, a real man and a real pus- person, a real woman, I'm, like I said, we're not, you know, excluding, but, but just focusing on men here on Father's Day, but, but a real man would um, mourn and be compassionate and be brokenhearted over things that are evil and cause pain and, and those things. You look at Jesus last week, we talked about Jesus showing an example of what we should do when someone's hurting, that we weep with those who weep, that we don't try to, you know, figure things out and answer things necessarily, that even Jesus, when his friend was dead, came up and, and just mourned with the, his sisters. Even though he knew he was going to raise his friend Lazarus back to life, he just mourned and wept with them. We see another picture of Jesus uh, before, as he's entering into Jerusalem and, and knows what's ahead of him and going to the cross and everything. He's at a point looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he's brokenhearted because he knows that Many of the people will reject him and put him on a cross, and many of those people are rejecting who God is, God's Savior Jesus, rejecting the Messiah, rejecting this good news. And, and he looks over the city of Jerusalem, and then he, he, he mourns. And so Jesus says, yeah, that's... And, and, and before we go any farther, Jesus... When I was growing up, you know, like I said, I did grow up in, in church and everything. And I go to my little Sunday school class, and, and there's, there's Jesus maybe painted on the wall. And, you know, hey, Jesus. And he looks like Fabio. And he's like European, right? And he's got a lamb. And he's like petting this lamb. And like children, maybe even children are sitting on his lap. And he's got a little pet lamb, you know. Um, that's what I grew up thinking of Jesus. I didn't think of him as the most manly of men. Um, 
you know. But we see a picture of Jesus not somehow being embarrassed of masculinity or anything. First of all, he's a carpenter. Um, he, he does a physically demanding job, uh, and he enters into his public ministry at, at 30. So most of his life, he did this physical demanding job. So um, along with that, uh, also, he's a guy where we see pictures of love and compassion and mourning. But then we see pictures of him having a righteous anger, so much so that he goes into the temple one of my favorite scenes, it's like, oh, Jesus is going to like, ah, take care of business here. He goes into the temple. He's so upset at the money changers. And this wasn't like, oh, they had a little business in the, in the you know, temple or something. You should never have any kind of business. No, these people were abusing God's people. They, they were, uh, people would come in to worship God, to connect with God through the temple and they would bring a sacrifice, and they would examine the sacrifice and say, hey, that's not good enough. And so what you need to do is, is we have some sacrifices that are good enough. You can buy these animals to sacrifice. But they would be sometimes a hundred times more expensive than what they should have been. But, but the sacrifice they brought wasn't acceptable, and they make the rules, and they just they had this thing kind of all, all sewn up in this deal where they were just fleecing the people. Or they would say, hey, you need temple money. And that's why they're called money uh, uh, changers. They would say, you need the right kind of temple money. They would like have a whole system. You need the right kind of money, and here's the exchange rate. And it would be absolutely abusive. And then you've got to go buy the right kind of animal, and that would be abusive. And Jesus is just so upset. He says, man, my, my temple, the temple of God is supposed to be somewhere where where people pray, where people are in relationship and connect with God in a special way. And you've turned it into a den of robbers, and he goes in there, and what's he do? He turns some tables. This is not Fabio Pet, you know, let me put my lamb down so I can turn this little, oh, someone help me. Peter, come here. No, I mean, he's, he's, he doesn't lack masculinity, all right? So it's not a call that... You know, that's, that's, not, that's wrong or evil or something like that. And what I think is interesting in that scene, and he's got some public, you know, some public support and stuff, but no one challenges him. No one messes with the carpenter from, uh, from Nazareth, right? They're like, all right, he's, you know. Anyways, okay, that's my Jesus. So we need to repaint some pictures. You know, he should be Middle Eastern looking and ripped and... He could still have the lamb. That would be cute. But um, anyways, so he, but, but all that to say, he still, though, is compassionate. I mean, he's, he shows this perfect loving compassion and kindness, and he mourns and weeps, especially over people who miss what God's doing and miss a relationship with God through him. Um, number five. Or verse 5, he goes on to say, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. That's not the worldly view, and in, in our culture anyways, and I am being kind of stereotypical here, uh, or stereotyping, but um, that's not usually, hey, men should be um, humble. No, we should brag. 
I remember when I was trying to get the attention of this beautiful girl in college. And, um, you know, it was such a small college. I think I was lucky that she didn't have a lot of choices or something. But, um, I mean, I remember this is, you guys are going to laugh at this, okay? She said the first thing she noticed about me was my arms. (laughs) I told you you were going to (laughs) laugh. It was a while ago. But I remember I would have a cut-off shirt and go play intramural basketball knowing she was there when I was trying to get her attention. And what would I do before I'd play basketball? I'd be like doing, you know, working out, working out, working out. So I looked like I, you know, really wasn't, didn't normally look. And then, you know, I couldn't play basketball because my arms were all, you know. But she didn't notice that. She's like, the first thing I noticed was were your arms. Why? Because... I'm thinking, oh, you know, I need to brag, I need to show off, I need to impress in, in some, in those ways. Um, and, and, and Jesus says, no, we're blessed, and what God desires is for us to be humble. Um, and, and in that, we'll, we'll inherit the whole earth, we'll inherit what God really wants us to have. Um, and really what it is, is just truth and realization. And not living, trying to promote, like me, like trying to look like I'm all swole, but I'm really not. Um, you know, trying to present or, or, or not come to the right conclusion of who we are. And who we are is wonderful. We're beautifully and wonderfully made in God's image. But we're not God. And we never will be. And there's a God who is so much greater than us. And we are made for him. And we're made to be in this relationship with him. Um, so there should be humility that, that uh, Jesus calls us to have as men even. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Some translations will see it, say hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is really a, a, the same concept there, that, that the, the righteousness of God, of God's uh, uh, justice, you know, we, we, we think of these justice warriors in our world today that are fighting injustices in the world. God is the ultimate justice warrior. He is an ultimate, pure, perfect judge who will punish all sin and um, doesn't want any evil to go unpunished. But he is also so gracious and loving and compassionate that he was willing to take on the punishment of the sin of the world on the cross. But, but for us to understand that that is a beautiful attribute that Jesus has called us into, what do most men's appetite lead towards? What do they desire and want? The Bible makes it really clear. Humanity never changes. There's three things that, that the world says, here's what men you know, should really get after. Material things or possessions... Uh, experiences or, or um, just, yeah, experiences in life that are thrilling, um, and position, uh, having people respect you or having authority or, or, or whatever along those lines. Those three things are, are the things the Bible says the world lives for. And I think men, we do it especially. Those are three things that often, man, every uh, our whole goal in life is to get stuff, to be respected, or to have pleasure in this world in some way. 
And, um, and, and Jesus says, we're supposed to be weird. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to have a different appetite. We're supposed to desire and long for the things of God, righteousness and justice and good things. Um, verse 7 goes on to say, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is, is, is about not, not giving a punishment that's, that's deserved and, and, and uh, forgiving, basically, is another great way that, that goes right into mercy. And that's not what the world would say us men need to do and be. Is forgive. No, we get revenge and we get even. And Jesus says, no, be merciful and be compassionate. Especially, we should know this, because if we're a Christ follower, we have received ultimate mercy and ultimate forgiveness. We will never have to extend more forgiveness and mercy than we've received from God. And we're supposed to reflect that to other people. So we're supposed to be weird and different. It goes on uh, to talk about verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's not an attribute elevated in men or fathers today, purity. No, it's more like, you know, go have all the experiences of life and don't miss out. Um, and whatever that is, you know, enjoy life in, in those in that way. Uh, verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, I just know there's so many different aspects. This is just such a, a profound teaching of Jesus, and we could look at uh, many different aspects of what he's saying here. But isn't it interesting, the huge, what I see is a huge contrast from the values of the world and what men are kind of viewed as, as being successful in this world, and what Jesus, the ultimate man, and the ultimate successful uh, human, uh, what he is calling us to. It's very, very different. But here's the outcome in verse 11. This is what the result will be. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. Because, Why? Not because you're weird or you're self-righteous or you're churchy or because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So men, fathers, I just encourage you that if, if I hope in some ways, this may sound kind of weird, that people make fun of you. <laughs> That people think you're strange. That people think your priorities and your, and your parenting are just weird. Like, watch Dr. Phil. Why, why are you not following his advice? Why do you have some other weird way of, of, of raising your kids and raising your family? So I encourage you that that's to be expected. And Jesus says, be glad for it. Um, here, as we end, just the last portion of this message, I want to try to give you guys as practical advice as I possibly can. So here's my dad challenge to you. Um, and isn't it interesting? Well, here it is. Create a Christ-centered home out of a Christ-centered life. That, that um, uh, My challenge to you is to not just create like a Christian home. Uh, sadly, 
80%, and this may be a little dated, but, but um, not too long ago, 80% of Americans claimed to be Christians. Um, now, I am not one to, I, I, I don't like to go out of my way to bash the culture, you know, like, yeah, these kids these days, and they don't do it, and there are people there, you know, uh, that, I, I don't, that's not my bent, but it's kind of easy to see some of the values and some of the way that, you know, culture, um, uh, you know, just our fellow Americans as we live in American culture, uh, if they have things in their life that indicate that they're really Christ-centered, that they're Christ followers. And isn't it interesting that that's Jesus's number one thing that he would give as his invitation to people, as his application to what he was teaching was, okay, follow me. He would say, follow me, follow me. And, and if you look at, you know, is 80% of people in America who claim to be Christians, are they following Jesus? Would that be a good description of their life? And, and I think we're kind of following short on that. So not just claiming to be a Christian, hey, I go to church once in a while or do some religious things or, hey, I believe in Jesus. But, but here's, the, I, I was very specific on how I worded that. Is Jesus the center of your life? Meaning he's not just some extra thing that you think about once in a while or something, but that he is at the center of your job, at the center of your family, at the center of your your priorities when it comes to what you're trying to accomplish in life and where you're headed. Um, that's what we're called to do. Um, Jesus, in his last night with his followers, he asked his followers 11 times to do something. And I think this is incredibly important. And he said, this is what I'm leaving with you. With you, Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. 11 times. Stay closely connected to me is what he was saying. Stay in this close relationship. And they're like, but you're leaving. But he kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And pointing to then, as he was teaching on that, that the Holy Spirit would come. And as the Holy Spirit came into a believer's life, there, the, God dwells in you, and you can have this personal, close relationship with, with God. And, and Jesus said, that's how you're going to abide in me. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to me. So that's what I'm asking and challenging uh, you dads who have said yes to Jesus, put your faith in him, to do. Um, what it isn't, what doesn't work, I can tell you. I worked with teenagers for over a decade, about 12 years. Um, I've, I've seen, I've worked with lots of ministers. I've seen patterns of, of and I'm, you know, at the same time, I don't feel like I'm, I'm an expert, but here's what experts say. Um, <laughs> uh, don't reduce Christianity to do's and don'ts. Um, as you're leading your family and pointing them and having a Christ-centered family, um, don't think of, and maybe you grew up thinking that this is what Christianity is. I've had a reflection of that at points in my life, and I thought that's what Christianity was. Christianity is not a new list of morality that we follow. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. And if you present the Christian faith to your kids that way, in this legalistic type way, that here's what it means to be a Christian, you do these things and you avoid these things, what usually the outcome is, is just rebellion against it. 
and running again away from it because it's rules without relationship and that equals the, the, the common outcome of that is rebellion. And so that's not what we're called to do anyways. We're called to have a relationship with God. He wants the best for us. Yes, he's got some guardrails in our lives to protect us. But that's not what the Christian life is about. About, you know, I didn't get married because there's some rules once I got married. Here's what my marriage is about. I can't date any other women. And, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other marriage rules. <laughs> Stick the notes, man. Um, you know, do you have a great marriage? Yes, I, I haven't dated other women. Oh, that sounds like a fabulous marriage you have. No. I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. That's a good thing. Don't misinterpret that. Like, I think what Pastor Ben's saying. No. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good guardrail to have in your marriage to protect that relationship. But what the marriage is about is this beautiful relationship that God wants to bless you with. Um, and, and the same with our relationship with God. It's not about the do's and don'ts. And then somehow if we feel like we're following the do's and don'ts, however we try to interpret them uh, good enough, we pridefully look down at people who aren't doing as well as us. Um, that's religion. And that is what Jesus, I think, got most disgusted with and frustrated with when he was here in, on this, walking on this earth as he interacted with people, that's who he got most frustrated with. So don't turn the Christian faith and thinking, okay, well, okay, what does it mean to be a Christ-centered home into, well, here's the rules we live by and here's the things we don't know. It's about having intimacy with God. It's about praying, uh, showing your family, and I said out of that personal relationship you, with, that you have, that you have this connection through prayer, that, that God has given you a purpose in this life, that we're here a very short time and God's given you a mission to be his ambassador, to share him with other people, um, to worship him, to honor him. And so um, the other way that we can look at it is, is okay, I, I want to have this Christian household, so let's just make sure we check the boxes. And if one way is kind of a real legalistic Christianity where you focus on, on all the rules and you kind of you know, even add extra ones to make you feel special, and then you look at, down at people who don't follow your, your rules. This other form is just a religious view of just like, okay, I go to church, or I give this money, or I, you know, go through some ceremonies at church, like communion or something, and I do these, I check the boxes of religion, and that's what makes me a dad who's who's leading my family uh the way god wants me to and that don't don't reduce it to that because these rituals and 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 uh regulations that some people view their christian faith is usually they separate their lives usually what that leads to is okay i go to church like you got you know maybe some of you guys feel that way this morning i'm here i just want to get this over with so i can go hit the lake you know, like, I, I'm just checking this box, and it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of my life. Um, and, and that's, you know, we don't want to present a Christian household in that way, that it's just this religious duty, and you got to do it out of obligation, and then it doesn't really affect the rest of your life. Um, no, it does. It's, it's what your whole life is centered around. Um, 
What works is this, helping your family see God as loving. I hope that that is, as God is describing his very essence in the Bible, the, the only thing that's described as what he is, is love. God is love. There's all these other attributes that are given to him, his holiness, his righteousness, all these things. But only love is described in a way that he is. The very essence of love is God. So I hope your family, if you're not portraying a God who loves your kids and your wife more than anyone else, even yourself included, could ever love, then I don't think we're representing who God is well. Um, And then what's the other thing? Approachable. That we have a God who put on human skin and came down to us and said that the veil is ripped when when he gives his last breath and says it's finished on the cross. The veil that separated people Uh, from God in the temple, this incredibly 30-foot veil that was the span, the width of a hand, the reason it ripped and tore, uh, separating the, the, what what was the, uh, what was the um, picture of God's presence in the Holy of Holies, the reason that's torn and separated after Jesus gives his life is because God is now approachable, because Jesus has made us, uh, paid the, the, the cost for us to be able to approach God so that he's approachable. And uh, last one, that he's involved, that he's not this far off God, but that he's a God that wants to intimately speak to you and walk with you in this life. Um, so men, fa- uh, fathers and mothers, of course, too, like I said, uh, help your family see these things. Here's a beautiful picture of, of not legalistic Christianity, not checkbox uh, religious Christianity. Psalm 63.1. I love this, this picture of what God wants from us. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Just the passion of knowing and wanting to be connected to a God who loves us so much. That's what God wants. Um, Here's last three things I want to give you as some real practical things. Uh, Stay connected. And we kind of talked about this. What I mean about that is just the abiding. Stay in close relationship with Jesus. That's what he's called uh, followers of his to do. Um, So stay connected to him. Uh, Look to him to be your strength. You know, look to him to guide you. Us men, we're like, you know, we figure it out. And, and uh, the Bible says, no, let, let God guide you. And, and it's our power and our strength and our know-how and whatever that solves problems. And the Bible says, no, it's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is supposed to uh, carry us along to, to do what God wants us to do. Um, number two, lead intentionally. Okay, again, I'm going to bash our culture here for a second. I hope it's not bashing, but just recognizing something that we, we kind of can see. Um, uh, a famous uh, British leader came over here, uh, and he was, he was quoted as saying, the most amazing thing at my, my visit of America that, that, that I thought was the most amazing was to see how the children lead the parents. And so... Um, <laughs> 
we have some weird cultural shift that's happened in the last two, three decades where, like, the kids are in charge of the household, and the kids are the center of the household. And uh, that's not supposed to be the case. That's not how it is. That's not the most loving thing for them, actually. Um, the most important relationship in the family is the mom and dad. The mom and dad. Um, and kids who have are in a, a family where mom and dad love each other like crazy, um, that they usually incredible healthy things proceed from that. Um, but um, I'm trying to offend you guys. Where are we at here? Okay, lead intentionally. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. And so often we looked at this verse. One thing, we look at it as a promise. It's not a promise. It's a principle. And, and that's what Proverbs is. Here's how, how things usually go uh, when we follow God's way in this. But if we take this as a promise, a lot of parents have, have experienced undue shame and guilt because they look at their adult children and they wandered away from God and they never came back. No, I must have not trained them up. And they, that's, not, that's not a guilt you're supposed to take on. That is you know, their, their choice. But as a principle, when we guide our children to a loving God who, who they find their purpose in, um, ultimately, you know, they, they won't depart from that. I'm, I'm going to show you some stats about that real quick. But um, before we get to that, the, first, the beginning of it is what we don't focus on very much. We're, to, we're called, men, fathers, and women, we're called to train up our kids. And what does that look like? Well, here's some examples in Proverbs. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all these. But here's just some beautiful wisdom and advice that God says, I haven't left you in the dark. I've given you my word and my truth to help train up your kids. And so here's, here's a list of, uh, of things that we see in Proverbs. Train them to manage God's money. Um, train them carefully to select friends. Um, train them to watch their words. Train them to be responsible. Train them to guard their minds. Train them to be generous. Train them to, to fear God in a healthy way. Um, so men, practical uh, thing that we're called to do is not just provide. Well, I provide and they eat and they got a roof over their head. That's not all we're called to do, especially as Jesus followers. But we're called to lead and train them. Um, and then the last thing, and this one is where... Maybe you'd be like, yeah, typical pastor point. Make church non-negotiable. And what I mean by that, I hope that I want to give this in the most inspiring way, not in a guilt-laden way. That, that God has given us a gift of other believers, which are family. He's given you close family. That when you have Jesus in common... That is the, the thing that can unify you and unite you more than anything else, more than blood relationship. Being adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus can give you more closeness. I'm not trying, not, God invented the, the um, natural family, but there is a gift there in the family of God. Um, and so what happens in family that's healthy, <laughs> and there's no perfect church family out there, but a healthy church family honors God by encouraging other people, loving other people, sharing uh, burdens with other people, helping people um, get past the, the bondage of, of sin and stuff by confessing and, and supporting one another. Um, and so 
Make, now, here's what we don't do. I mean, sometimes for some reason we put this in a, its own category that we feel like, well, we're not going to force our kids to go to church. But think of the other healthy non-negotiables in your family's life, like brushing your teeth, right? Non-negotiable. Where's Jackson? Non-negotiable, okay? Yeah, at least twice a day. More would be great, okay? Um, when they start getting older and uh, they start getting hairy-legged and voices start doing weird things and deodorant, non-negotiable. This isn't harsh. They're not going to be like not want to wear deodorant later in life. Or No, this is just an expectation in our home. Um, going to school. Well, my kids don't feel like going to school and they won't blah, 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 blah. No. Now, now I could understand if they're in, um, if you don't want them to be a part of a church and the church isn't healthy and, and you are afraid of them uh, conflating who God is compared to an unhealthy or, un, you know, just a church that's not teaching God's word and God's truth. That's a different issue. Like, I, I have some sympathy there. And it's also very difficult for a family that's discovered who Jesus is and started coming to church, but they've, you know, their family hasn't had that pattern established in their life. That's a hard, sometimes, pattern to establish. So I'm not, you know, as gracious and, and, and you know, as, as accommodating as I could present this. I want to encourage you to just think, you know, and it's not about you just coming to Lifestone and us getting more seats filled. Like, you, there might be another church family that's a better fit for you. Um, as long as they're teaching God's truth and they're healthy, I'd rather see you there and that be a pattern in your, in your family's uh, life than here, even though, you know, of course we'd love to have you here. Um, so make it a non-negotiable. You don't, I mean, think of the other non-negotiables. You know, kids, we're just not going to do Thanksgiving this year. We're just, you know, we did it last year. And so, can you imagine your kids? It'd be like, exactly. It's the fourth, when is it? Oh, fourth Thursday of the, okay, third, fourth. Um, you know, or Christmas. You know, Christmas, we've done it year after year. We're going to take a break from 